0: Ooh. Ooh. Oh, yeah
1: mm-hmm. played guitar
2: Welcome again to the Strange Boot Podcast. My name is Jason Barnard and that was Tony Visconti and Woody Woodmansey's Holy Holy from their Man Who Sold the World Live in London CD which was uh, recorded at the Shepherd's Bush Empire back in 2014. That was Ziggy Stardust which was a bonus track from that LP. And I've got the incredible pleasure today to welcome Woody Woodmansey, legendary drummer for David Bowie and the Spiders from Mars. So let's hear me talking to Woody about Holy Holy and his work with David and much more. Hello, is that Woody? Hello, how are you doing? (laughs) I'm alright. You kindly retweeted uh, one of my podcasts uh, on the Rumble documentary, so thank you.
3: Oh yeah, yeah, that was cool that. I enjoyed watching that.
2: Yeah, no, it was great. So obviously one of the main reasons we're here today is basically to talk about your forthcoming Holy Holy tour. February uh, next year.
3: Yeah, that's good.
2: Am I right to say the different thing this time is that you're playing Ziggy Stardust in its entirety as well as the man who sold the world?
3: That is true. Yes, we are. Quite a challenge, but yes, we are. <laughs> and then probably probably some from Hunky Dory as well and Aladdin Sane.
2: Yeah, and did, did you ever play Ziggy in its entirety in, in the period with David back in the day?
3: No, I think if we did it, we did it once. And I don't know where that gig was, but generally we didn't because there was, I guess there was so much of the material um, to fit in. Um, And some we didn't consider at the time worked live. Um, I think we did like Lady Stardust just once. Can't remember. Oh, it ain't easy. We never played live. So there was quite a few we didn't do.
2: So this is a real chance to hear hear that album in its entirety.
3: Yeah, it's it's very interesting live. You know, it's interesting to play live. Just the whole spirit of that album, and um, you can't help but get into it when you're playing live. We've kept it pretty true to uh, how the album is, and it, and it really works.
2: I did see you, uh, uh, you know, the Holy, Show, Holy Holy Show in Leeds a few years back, and it's interesting having Glenn Gregory as frontman. He's one of the few singers who I feel could really pull that material off authentically. How did you get involved with uh, playing with Glenn?
3: Um, I'd done a few gigs with other singers, uh, doing just bits and pieces from Bowie material. And then I I kind of went, I don't want to do this. It doesn't feel right. And then I remembered that, you know, the first album that Mick Ronson and myself played on with David was The Man of Silver the World, and that we'd never done that live with David there, was, there were managerial things at the time and financial things going on. So we never actually got to to play it live. And I thought, okay, I'd, that'd be good to do. It's it's quite a challenge to do that, but um, I need Tony Visconti. So I, I, I thought, I'm not sure, because I knew he was pretty busy producing. I don't know whether he'd be into it. And by the time I asked him, he went, yeah, wherever you play and I'll be there. And I went, wow. said so I thought it would take me two hours you know and he said no he said david and i have spoke about this this album over the years saying how much we regretted never playing it live and i went well i actually didn't know that so and david had Mm -hmm. said to him you know why do you want to do it and he said because we never did it and david said that's a good enough reason (laughs) so uh, and we actually we did record um we recorded the set at uh, Shepherds Bush a couple of years ago. And Tony said, I've got to play this to David. And he said, he he smiled all the way through it and said, wow, that's really cool. He said, that's what we would have sounded like if we'd have gone out. He said, maybe my, my, maybe my career would have taken a different turn if we'd have done that. <laughs> so it was it was nice, you know. And Tony had just, when he agreed to do it, He'd just finished working with Glenn on, a, I think it was called International Blue. I think it was several singers. And he said, have you got a singer? And I said, well, we have, but not too sure because we're now going to do a different album. And he said, Glenn Gregory. He said, he'll kill it. But, <laughs> so I said, I, I mean, I knew Glenn from he- from Heaven 17 a little bit. And he came we, came, we booked a rehearsal in London and Tony flew in and at the end of the first song we just all fell about laughing (laughs) it was like wow this really works you know um so it was so it's been really good it's just kind of built up over the years on its own merit really
2: this isn't a tribute, this is really bringing the, the music to life?
3: Yeah, I mean, it's, that you know, the guys, um, Tony and I with the original uh, rhythm section on the album, which helps, um, Glenn vocally, just manages to make those songs Glenn Gregory's. There's enough of, I guess, David's intention in the vocal that uh, that Glenn is able to do, but he, he it's still Glenn singing it. We really didn't want to i am david bowie you know <laughs> that kind of a voice Never
0: do it. and
3: so you know and the two guitarists because <clears throat> mick did a mick ronson did a lot of um, harmony guitar work and um a lot of chords and, and solos on some of the tracks we needed two guitarists so we got paul cudderford from uh, basically bob Geldof's band and um um, James Stevenson from the Alarm and, and about fifty thousand other bands he's played with, who's a great guitarist, and they work really well together. Um, we've got Berenice Scott on keyboards from Heaven Seventeen, and Tony's daughter on twelve string and sax. So it's it's really a good group. It's uh, we get on really well as people as well, so that that helps. Mm.
2: You know, the album itself is, is quite unique in, in, in David's uh, canon in that it was, I understand it was a much more collaborative process than some of his later work.
3: The Manus of the World, yeah, it was, um, I guess it was his first move, really, into, into rock. You know, when, when we joined, he was, he was still kind of in David Bowie, folk guitarist. And we, you know, Mick and I particularly had just come from progressive music, you know, anything from Cream to Zeppelin, Hendrix, Jeff Beck Group, and the blues, that, that was our background. So it was taking, you know, what David had written, and that's kind of the, the mode we were in at the time, <laughs> you know. Hmm. It, was, it was kind of, it, we always looked at it as um, Bowie's Sergeant Pepper, you know, it was everything but the kitchen sink mm-hmm. on there. And, it you know, it was a shame we didn't get to play it live at the time. Because, um, you know, it was, uh, there's a lot of kind of dark songs on it that we we really did want to take out at the time, you know, onto the road. It was funny, it's been funny doing it because, you know, you never imagine people singing All the Mad Men as a pop song you know, the audience singing along with you and you're singing about some dark dark subjects and they're singing along like it's a pop song, it's quite it's quite funny.
1: Send my friends away To mansions cold and gray To the far side of town Where the thin men stalk the streets While the saints stay underground Day after day They tell me I can go They tell me I can blow. To the far side of town Where it's pointless to be high Thus it's such a long way hides its organic mind in a cellar, dark and grim. They must be very dim.
2: These tracks like the Superman, you know the yeah. thunder. I mean, thundering drums, fantastic. Thank you.
3: Yeah, that was originally called the the Cyclops, which is probably why it thunders.
0: <laughs>
3: <laughs> he said, I said, "What's this one?" Because he hadn't done the lyrics to it. I said, "What's this called?" He said, "It's the Cyclops." So we just imagined a big monster <laughs> with an <laughs> eye in the forehead, and we played with, with that kind of an idea in mind. And then he said, "No, no, I've changed it to Superman." Oh, well, it still works.
1: We had my mystics, thoughts, no pain, no joy, no power to write Colossal strength, the grasp of fight Where sad I and tossed in stumbers. Nightmare dreams no mortal mind could hold
4: a man would tear his brother's flesh A chance that die, that turn to nose
2: Playing with Holy Holy has given you a chance to, you know, play tracks like "She Shook Me Cold," which, uh, you know, are not as well known, but have got real harder edge sound.
3: Yeah, I mean that that's an amazing track to play. It's quite tricky because there's some odd stops and starts in it. But um, I always thought it was probably one of the dirtiest, meanest guitar intros that I'd ever heard, and still have. I haven't heard anything that's quite as quite as rude when it starts as that and it it just really fitted the song you know
2: interesting thing is because it was so collaborative is the wide range of percussion on songs like The Man Who Sold the World Itself. Yeah. And it must have been quite quite invigorating to be able to experiment and, and you know, bring other sort of percussive elements in.
3: It was because I I'd never really, you know, I was strictly a drummer. I remember, you know, during that album Tony brought in percussion pieces and that and he handed me this uh, thing looked like a big wooden sausage with painted red at one end and green at the other and had these ridges in the middle of it and and a hole in it and he said do you want to put this on the man who sold the world and I was like I didn't want to appear ignorant so I kind of looked at it I took it from him I looked at it I kind of blew across the hole thinking it was maybe that's what he, maybe that's what you did with it and he took it, back off, took it back off me he said no you idiot you put your thumb in there and he gave me a little stick, and you tap it, and then run across the ridges, and it makes a brrrr sound. You know, I was like, oh yeah, yeah, I knew that. I was just messing about. Mm. And then he introduced me to timpani and uh, wood blocks and maracas, and, and I'd never really played all that stuff. But he gave me—he he, was—he was really good at. Uh, showing somebody really quickly or I was really quick at picking it up I'm not sure which probably a bit of both <laughs> but it was fun it was it was good um, experimenting like that you know we passed up on
1: the stairs spoke up, was not when Although I wasn't there He said I was his friend Which came us some surprise I spoke into his eyes I thought you died alone A long, long time ago made my way back home. I searched for fallen land. For years and years I roamed. I gazed a gazeless stare at all the millions here. We must have died alone a long, long time ago. Who knows? your are to the place, with the man who all the
2: talking about Hunky Dory it seemed that you adapted your drumming style to fit the music and, and didn't overplay as much is that something that you recognize
3: yeah that was a that was a really a conscious effort from from all of us really you know we we kind of got into listening to uh, Neil Young and Crazy Horse and John Lennon's solo stuff and it, and it was apparent that uh, which we hadn't really looked at before, that you could put a a song across really well without doing licks at a 1,000 miles an hour, basically. (laughs) You know, not getting your favorite Mm -hmm. lick into every song you do, you know. I remember listening to a a Crazy Horse, uh, a a Neil Young track, and it was a very simple beat, and uh, I hadn't realized that he didn't play on the cymbal till right at the last chorus and when he did it just lifted the whole thing and i was like wow i would never really didn't really know that that you could do that like that and then you know david was kind of bringing us completed songs where they hadn't been complete before that um so you had all the lyrics and where the where the vocals were um and you definitely couldn't thunder across the drums on an important line you know like um Mickey Mouse has grown up a cow. You couldn't, you you know what I mean? You couldn't do a million (laughs) cymbal splashes through that. So it was, Mm -hmm. it was, it was more streamlined. We streamlined Mm -hmm. everything, um, to kind of simplify it and, and really to back the song. You know, I think Hunky Dory was always for me, Bowie saying, I'll show you, I can write songs. I can, you give me a violin and I can write you a song with it. You know, Mm -hmm. um, it was very varied that album but they were all good songs you know and the you know the songs needed to communicate as the songs rather than rather than a a style or anything the style kind of came more when we got into the ziggy material you know because we wanted to we thought well you can't really go out and do a dory mm-hmm. as a as a a live show it just I would fall asleep, you know. <laughs> yeah. that, whether that's true or not, it was that was what we thought. We need to liven everything <laughs> up, you know. Uh, so that's where Ziggy came in. Really, um, he started writing more rocky things, and we could get our teeth into. Um, but it was it never went back to the Man of Soul, the world approach where anything goes, you know. It was still streamlined behind the song, which is which is why it worked really. You know.
2: But you did talk about that lift, and that lift in in terms of bringing the drums later seemed to be apparent in "Oh, You Pretty Things."
3: Yeah, exactly that. Exactly that. I mean i i always I always thought John. I mean John Bonham from Zeppelin was a bit, a big hero, man. And even though he played heavy all the time, if he couldn't fit that into a song, he didn't play. Mm. You know, it was like when I'm in, I'm in and you'll notice it <laughs> and that was that was what I got from him anyway. Um so I kinda used a bit of that, don't play if it's not gonna really add. Mm. Do you know what I mean? Mm. Um, leave it and then make a make an entrance when it needs it, when it needs a lift, then find the right beat that keeps it all together, you know. Mm.
0: you
2: great memory in from your book Spiders from Mars My Life with Bowie is is talking about uh, Mick Ronson and the orchestration for life on Mars and the way that he deals with that situation <laughs> with a bunch of stuffy, yeah. stuffy musicians.
3: Yeah, that was amazing because that was kind of his first big string part. And so he was, you know, he'd been finishing it off in the bathroom. Um while we queued outside for the bathroom, he was still finishing writing the score, you know. Hmm. And the BBC were pretty straight laced, you know, shirt and tie, um we start at nine, we finish at ten, that's the session type thing. And the and the you know, the way we looked, they really didn't appreciate that they were having to work for some rock and roll hooligans type thing, you know. And Mick was really nervous, you know, that he had to go out and conduct it. And, it, you know, he took he took the parts out, handed them out, and uh, he just stood there in front of them and made them wait and just rolled a cigarette really slowly. <laughs> and You could see them getting more and more edgy. Probably not the best mm-hmm. thing to do, but it made him feel better. And, you know, Ken Scott, who was the uh, engineer-producer on that album, you know, he'd worked with the Beatles, and and he said, that, you know, we've had these string guys in before on Queen tracks and Beatles tracks, and they they really don't mess about; they just do their job and then go. And so they 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 played the they played the strings to life on Mars once, and it was good. You know, Bowie Bowie and I were looking through the glass into the studio and giving Mick the things up the thumbs up. And then the leader of the string section came up and went, um, did you write this? And Mick said, yeah. And he goes, we really like it. We think we can do a better one. And everybody in the place just, their mouths dropped. And Ken said, that's never happened. Hmm. They've never offered to do another one, you know. Hmm. And they did another one, and it was even better, which is the one that went on the, on the track, you know. So it was, it, was, it was quite interesting just watching that take place, you know.
5: It's a god-awful small affair To the girl with a mousy hair But her mummy is yelling no
1: And her daddy has told her to go But her friend is nowhere to be seen Now she walks through her sunken dream. To the seats with the clearest view, and she's hooked to the silver screen. But the film is a saddening ball, for, for she's lifted ten times or more. She could spit in the eyes of fools, as they ask
0: Their the life on Mars It's on the
5: merry cast tortured brow.
1: But the film is a sad thing more Cause I wrote it ten times or more It's about to be written again As I ask you to focus on Say, look at those in the dance hall Oh man, look at those cavemen girls It's the freakiest show Take a look at them ¿Verdad?
2: In your book, you talk about the moment when David called and you had the choice of, you know, getting a well-paid factory job, which was, you know, a really good job from where you were, or to take a gamble and join David now. By the time of Starman and Top of the Pots, did you feel like you'd made it and been justified?
3: Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it was a tough decision, you know, because I had kind of got thrown out of school and my parents and relatives didn't look too kindly on me. I was kind of the black sheep. And accidentally really um, got good at this job in a factory. I I happened to learn all the machinery in this factory. And um, I ended up being the only one unintentionally that could set the factory up. (laughs) So they offered me, at 18 it was, they offered me the kind of under foreman's job. Mm -hmm. And there were guys there who had been there like 20 years and were hoping Mm -hmm. to get that job. So it it was quite a in a Yorkshire farming town it was quite a good job to get so they'd they'd said we need to know Monday uh, if you're going to take the job and then on the Friday the same day uh, David phoned up and said Mick says you're Mick says you're a great drummer and uh, you'd really fit in with us I want you to come down to London and um, I've got a place called Haddon Hall in Beckenham in Kent Um, so all your food and rent and all that's covered and we're just going to play and um i'm gonna do another album and i was like uh, okay um can i phone you back monday <laughs> uh and then it was a hard weekend really you know trying to decide but got there just it took it took all weekend basically to just sit in the lounge and in the book i, I just it, you know, I was sat there and it was going 50 50 you know, mm. this is a good job. Every, you know, parents and friends all like the fact that I've got this job. and But I mm. love music. But, can you know, you go through, am I good enough? Would I ever make it? Is it worth it? And then the TV was on and the band came on. And I was mm. kind of imagining that I was like 65 years old. And I don't know who the band was, but and I've got my grandkids there and I've just had a holiday and I've got a new car in the driveway. And I say to my, one of my grandkids, you know, when I was 18, I could have, Ooh, <laughs> and the uh, life kind of went on pause. It just stopped. And I went, hmm. Oh, that is my life. That is my life. I can see it. If I do that, that will be my life and I will regret, you know? And I thought, well, if I, if I come back into my hometown, in rags with no money, battered and bruised, and everybody says, We told you not to do it. I can say, Yeah, but at least I tried, you know. So I just, you know, picked the phone up and rang him up and said, Yeah, I'll be down. I'll be down on Tuesday. <laughs>
2: And then you ended up, you know, on the BBC radio, TV, and also touring America. And there's that there's that great Santa Monica '72 yeah. show that's been captured. Tracks like "Hang On to Yourself," you know, really really powerful.
3: Yeah, yeah. There's some. Great, I mean, it was a dream come true. Really, those tours were just amazing. You tour in those countries, meeting lots of people, fantastic audiences. We had the best. Uh, we went to the best restaurants in the cities. We went clubbing it afterwards. Mm. It was, you know, a party, and so it was hard work, but we partied hard as well, and it was, it was good. It paid off.
5: Hi, this is B. Mitch Reed along with Richard Kimball from the Santa Monica Civic Auditorium, and the house lights are about to go down for the appearance of David Bowie. <laughs> I see the touch some
1: stars and come to the show tonight, and I'll to the light machine. She wants my honey, on my money She don't fucking love me Let her on the lips Come on, come on we really got to come and oh, Come on, oh, come on If you think you're gonna make that You better hang on to yourself Oh, we don't talk much we just ball and play Never we'll move around like tigers on Vaseline blessed where the spiders from God. Yeah, come on, come on. You really gotta that yeah? Well, come on, yeah, come on. Baby,
2: I've spoken to uh, to uh, Hutch Hutchinson, and he, you know, he talked to me about uh, rock and roll suicide, and uh, you know, all that being a surprise in terms of David's announcement, and then you kind of had to sort of regroup.
3: Yeah, yeah, it was it was a total surprise. I kind of thought he was going to make some changes, but not that drastic. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I didn't, we didn't even know really if it, if he was just if he was joking you know because he he would off we got used to the fact that he would often do things that were unpredictable mm. that he hadn't told you he was going to do and you you had to ride with it um so it, it could have been one of those it was only later when we mm. found out no he was he didn't want to do the ziggy thing anymore you know
2: I really like uh, the u boat album that you made, uh, and 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 to your credit, you know, this this you wrote most of the material on these tracks like Star Machine, that are you know really really good.
3: Yeah, yeah, thank you.
2: Is that something you wanted to sort of carry on more of that writing?
3: Um, I have been doing that. I've got quite a lot written. I'm just not sure what I'm going to do with it. <laughs> I haven't quite got around to that part of it yet. Um, mm-hmm. But I've been writing over the years. Um, who knows? <laughs>
5: Finding a way to make himself face another day
1: Hiding
5: away, trying to forget yesterday It
0: ain't easy
1: his name? Last is fame. He's red He's lost his head
2: I guess to, to close. I just want to kind of talk about Holy Holy again, and um, if it's possible, I'd like you to pick out um, a track from the Man and Soul, of the world re-recording that you did, as well as kind of the bonus tracks that are on the second CD uh, that that you you think uh, would represent the forthcoming show next year. And right,
3: and... Um, I think probably width of a circle. Hmm. The reason being. Um, you know when we first put this together and went out on the road you you can kind of get a feel from a from an audience that the they're, they're not quite sure whether you're going to be any good or not they <laughs> they're not already on your side you know and it and it was like that um but at, by the end of width of a circle, mm. we'd won them over, and that happened every night basically. So that you know that track was really important to us.
2: All right, thank you so much. Much appreciate. It's a real honour.
3: Yeah, thank you, man. Take care. A pleasure. Thank you. Bye.
2: Thank you for listening to the Strange Brew Podcast. If you do like the show, please consider supporting me on Patreon. Patrons get access to unedited interviews as they're done, news, plus even access to my exclusive interview archive. All your support goes into keeping the show running and moving forward and getting amazing guests. To support me, just go to patreon.com forward slash strangebrewpod Or go to thestrangebrew.co.uk forward slash about. Thanks very much. And any reviews on your podcasting services are greatly appreciated. Thank you.